Let's open our Bible to page 942, I believe is what they're saying, 942. I want to talk to you today about, you've read the story before about Jesus and this man who, uh, at this pool of Bethesda, we're going to read it real quick in a moment, and he asked the most strange question. Uh, let's just look in chapter 5, verse 1. It said, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Interesting, John doesn't tell us in his writing what feast. Normally, in, the, in John, he specifies the feast. But whatever feast it was, it was a major feast, for Jesus went to Jerusalem to it. Says now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called uh, in Hebrew Bethesda, which means house of mercy. Uh, it had five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Well, it says a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now, this is, this is what makes this question a strange question to me. Here's, here's a man. He wasn't born this way, but somewhere in his life, he got this way. He had this infirmity. And the Bible says in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, now, here's this strange question. Do you want to be made well? To me, on the surface, if, if a man has been in this shape and whatever this infirmity was prevented him from being able to walk, he just was dependent on other people helping him. He'd been that way 38 years, and Jesus asked the guy in a very simple way, uh, do you want to get well? And the sick man said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps in down before me. And Jesus said to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Well, there's a lot in that story, but we'll, we'll stop at that, at that point. You know, as I look at that story, one of the things that, that I see in the story is that, that Jesus made this man a priority in his life. He, he looked at this guy. There are a lot of other people there that had other physical problems, but Jesus kind of zeroes in or does on this one man, and, uh, and, and he just really performs a miracle. Now, what I want to do in our little time today is talk about a couple of life lessons that I, and there's more than two, but there are two life lessons that I want to talk about today. Because as I look at what Jesus did, uh, he, he, he went to a man uh, who had some real issues, like a forsaken man. Evidently, this man's family had abandoned him. I mean, here he is. There's no one there to help him get into the water, into the pool. So there he was. And he had this problem. He, he, he felt, I would think he would have felt like, uh, he'd kind of been forsaken by family, forsaken by friends, and Jesus instead made this man a priority. You know, when I read about that and think about that, I think, you know, in life, we, we, we encounter a lot of people for a lot of different reasons that to feel forsaken. Uh, maybe they're not the main event people. Maybe they're unable to do this or that and yonder. And, and if we're not careful, we 
instead of making them priority, we somewhat, we somewhat ignore them. Well, I think one life lesson for me as I look at that is to make forsaken people uh, a priority in my life. I encourage you to think about that. Now, when we talk about forsaken people, read this story, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of things and reasons people can feel forsaken besides physical things. You know, if someone has a physical infirmity, if they're not able to get about and walk and all these kind of things, um, in, in our hurry and hustle of life, we sometimes uh, kind of maybe, we don't mean to, but maybe we don't do what we should or what we could. But I think about, you know, there are other people in life that likewise feel somewhat forsaken, kind of put on the back burner. They, they don't seem to be at the center of attention. And, you know, sometimes people that are shy can be like that. Some people are just by nature shy people, and they, they just uh, kind of drift into the woodwork, and they sometimes, I think, feel left out. In fact, I'm sure they do. We had an experience here last Friday night that I, that I thought was a good example, that our First Baptist Christian Academy was playing here last Friday night, and Dottie and I came, John was here, and a lot of folks were here, and uh, somewhere during, during the game, Dottie uh, she decided to walk down on the other end because our granddaughter was, is a cheerleader. She wanted to see Charlie Joe cheer up closer. And in her process of walking down there, a little girl that Dottie did not know came up and spoke to Dottie and called her by name. And Dottie stopped and, 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 and had a conversation with this little girl. I mean, that's just a normal, normal kind of thing to do. And then Dottie kind of went on to see Charlie Joe with her cheerleading. Interestingly, uh, near the end of the game, the little girl's parents came to Dottie and they said, we'd like to speak to you a moment. Said, we want to thank you. You, you passed our daughter earlier tonight and you stopped and talked to her and she's very shy. And you're stopping and spending a moment or two with her and asking a little thing or two. It just, it just, you just can't know what it did for her. And I was telling me that story and I thought, you know, I'm sure we're all around people that maybe some of which are shy people and they feel kind of forsaken and, and it's just easy to kind of ignore them and, you know, get engaged with other people that maybe are blessed with personality. I think other people that can feel forsaken are sometimes employees at the workplace Sometimes I fear that some of them, maybe by the nature of their job, uh, they just feel like they're kind of left out of the inner group. And, uh, you know, here at the church, people are scattered all over the place working. And, uh, you know, they're in their world and others of us are in our world. And, you know, after a while, I think, you know, that's why I'm all, I, I like to go to the different places. I was in maintenance early this morning and uh, I was in the kitchen a little moment ago and going through there. And, uh, you know, I just, I just think, hey, you know, I don't want anybody that works here at the church to feel like that, that they're not appreciated, that they're not included, that we don't care about what's going on in their life. Well, you, you just can translate that into wherever you are. I think people maybe that don't have as much formal education sometimes feel, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, overlooked or 
not respected. The fact of the matter is some of the wisest people I know are, are people that maybe don't have as much formal education, but you know, that shouldn't be that way. Then older people, I'm just, I'm just convinced that older people, um, and if they, they, in fact, I know they say so, um, sometimes they just feel like forgotten. And I worry sometimes they are forgotten. Some are blessed with family that looks after them, but like there, there are many senior adults in our church that, you know, the church is about the only family, or maybe they've got a friend or two out there, but for whatever reason, maybe their family lives elsewhere or whatever. But we just need to uh, be, be sure that we, we make older people a, a priority, even though age maybe limits them in all the things they can do. But I'll tell you another thing that I see in this story that is it, encouraging to me is that um, uh, it's a second life lesson. It's never too late for a breakthrough. I want you to think me about this a moment. Now, here's a guy, a man, who's been unable to walk about or do anything for 38 years. Back in this day, why, well, that'd been half of his life. And I, I would think that if you'd been like that that long, you'd just finally say, you know, I'm just going to be this way the rest of my life. And I've just got to learn to deal with this and navigate through this kind of thing because I would think a guy would think it's just never going to be any different. Now, in the story, this guy's problem is a physical problem. Now, let me say this. There, there are many people that feel like I think this man would have felt their problem is not physical. Maybe it's something else in their life that just has almost control of their life. And the, it's been that way so long, they think, I'll never be able to get this thing settled. I'll never be able to get this out of my life. Whatever this might be, it might be an addiction. It could, it could be an addiction of many different things. And they try and do whatever they can. And they just think, well, you know, I've just got to, it's just going to be this way to the end. Now, what I'm saying is, as I look at this little story and think, and true it is, uh, it's never too late for a breakthrough. You get God in it. And whatever a person may be wrestling with, God can get them beyond that. He can release them from that. He can solve that problem. Now, now, what John was referring to a while ago is what I'm going to share here. Years ago, well, back in the 70s, we were pastor over in Tennessee, and we, we, we lived, our house was like on top of a large hill, not a mountain, but a very high hill. And you could look out the front windows and see the Tennessee River. And you can look out the back and see the Cumberland Mountains on a clear day both ways. Have to be a clear day. And the nearest house to us was probably about as far as from here to the gym of the church at the other end of that parking lot. So we had, a, you know, there, there, there was a road between us and then there was a lot of fields and space. But up in that other house, it was up there, the, it was higher than we were, was, was a real a real good man, kind man, his wife, and uh, he owned an automobile dealership, and he was a very respected man in the community. He, he was an immaculate dresser, 
his wife was one of the sweetest people you've ever known. But the man had a real problem with alcohol. Now, it wasn't an everyday thing. It wasn't an every week thing. But it became a very deepened thing when one of his sons was killed in a car wreck. And when that son was killed, that issue of alcohol that he had would have, would have a grip on him sometimes for maybe two or three days, and then he would work himself through that, and he'd be fine for maybe uh, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, and then it, but be that as it may. Now, he and his wife went to our church. Um, they were there every Sunday morning, and, and John and Joel just loved them so very much, and they were very kind to John and Joel. But he'd get on one of these binges of his, and his wife was one of the most godly women that I've ever known. And she would phone down to our house on the telephone, and Dottie many times would answer. And she would say, I need a preacher to come up here. I said, uh, Lynn wants to get his life right with God. Well, Dottie would tell me, you need to go up to the heart sook. Said, uh, Lynn, Lynn wants you to come up there. I'd, I'd go up. Well, I've done this over the years so many times. It was always the same thing. I'd get up there, and he would be crying, and he, 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 he would just say, I, I, I know this is not how I'm going to live. And he would always do the same thing. He said, Preacher, I want you to go with me in the kitchen. They had a beautiful, big, large home. And he said, I'm just going to pour all the liquor down the sink. Well, first time he ever did that, I thought this was the greatest thing it had ever been. I didn't know a few months later I'd be back up there pouring some more liquor down the sink. It didn't last very long. Well, fast forward that story. That went on for several years. Now, it wasn't an every week deal. It wasn't even every month deal. But it would just be, and especially after their son got killed, he, he, it got to be worse. Well, I never will forget one. This is what I want to share about today. One Saturday night, we were home, and we were watching, back then, The Love Boat. Some of y'all might remember The Love Boat. It came on on Saturday night. That was, you know, even at my age then, that was our big Saturday night treat, watch Love Boat. Well, Dottie came to me and said, Ruby just called, and I want you to come up. I said, Dottie, this is just, you know, it's just ridiculous. I said, it's the same old thing. I said, well, anyway, she said, well, I told her you was coming. I said, well, I'm going. I said, why don't you go with me? She said, no, I need to stay here with the boys. You going up there and help me. <laughs> well, I get up there. And when I went in, I just had a feeling that this thing's fixing to be something different from what I've experienced. And what old Lynn did was, he said, preacher, it's, it's something's happened. He said, it's going to be different. He said, I want you to go in the kitchen with me. I'm fixed to pour everything in this, all the liquor in this house fixed to go down the sink. I said, well, Lynn, we've done this before. He said, yeah, but it's fixing to be different. And he did. And then I'm wearing a ring today. I don't wear a ring except a wedding ring, but I have this ring. He took this ring off of his finger and he said, now I want you to look at this ring, preacher. He said, this is a diamond ring. And it has a flaw right in the middle of it. And I bought it this way on purpose. I paid extra to get this. I thought, well, they cheated you if they sold you a diamond <laughs> ring. But, but 
He said, now, let me tell you why. He said, when, when my boy got killed, it just devastated me. And I went and bought this diamond ring, and I wanted to have a flaw in it because that flaw reminds me of the death of my son. Now, he's stone drunk telling me this story. And he said, now, I'm giving you this ring, and I want you to always wear it. And when you do, you say a prayer for me. Well, the story touched me deeply because I knew the boy. I'd buried the boy. And, and I thought, well, Lynn means well. I had never heard the story about the flower and all that. But he said, no, you take the ring. Made me put it on right then. He said, now, when I come to church in the morning, I thought, oh, my Lord. <laughs> We're going to need a miracle here. I want to see this ring on. I said, okay. So we had this prayer, and I led Ole in a prayer, and he prayed, and it, it, it was a little different and all, but long story short, next, next morning, this Saturday night, next morning we go to church, second service, I look, and I sit Lynn Ruby, right, where they always said, dressed up like, oh, man, he was, a, he was a dresser of all men, had distinguished white hair, and just lived a very fluent life. Well, I didn't have the ring on. I'd left the ring at the house. I was afraid I'd lose it. And that afternoon, I was out in the backyard walking the dogs. I remember we lived way down here, but he lived, but we could see each other's house. And I saw Lynn out in, the, in, in, the, out in his field out there, and he started walking to the house. And uh, I saw he's coming. I thought, well, I'll kind of meet him halfway, and we'll visit. Well, I did, and he said, well, preacher, you see me in church today? I said, yeah, I did. Glad you were there, Lynn. He said, you didn't have on the ring. Well, that's the first time I realized he knew what he had done. I said, well, no, Lynn. I said, uh, I, I, the ring's at the house. I said, I really appreciate. I'm excited about what you did last night, but I, I said, I, I'm going to give you the ring back. I, I got it down at the house. I said, the ring really, you need to, have, you need to keep the ring. No. I've given you the ring, and I want you to wear it, and always remember the whole story. He said, now, you think that I'm not serious about being through alcohol. He said, let me tell you how serious I am. He said, my general manager's name's Bill Anthony. I knew him well. I've told him if I ever drink one more drop of alcohol on January the 2nd of every year, give Dottie Redmond a new Cadillac. I thought, well, you know, if he just backslid a time or two, that wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> well, let me tell you what. She never got a new Cadillac. He never, ever, ever touched another drop of alcohol. On the first anniversary of that night, that Saturday night where he presented me the ring, he had planned this well. He said, I want us to go. He, it was, it's, it's, it's one of the, was then one of the finest restaurants in Knoxville. I'm not even sure it's there anymore. He said, I want us to go. I'm going to have my driver to drive us. We're going to go in our limo. Me and Dottie and Ruby and Lynn, now in this big old limo, and we're going to draw up and celebrate my first year of victory over alcohol. Now, I, 
John and I were talking about that story last night. Now, I wish I had 25 stories to tell like that. I do have some. But I'm saying this to you today. It may not be alcohol. It may, I hope not. But the fact of the matter is, it might just be fear about something. It might be anxiety about something. It may be whatever. There is nothing in your life or mine with God that there can't be a breakthrough. Could I have an amen to that? And you say, well, I'm not rash with anything like that. Well, let me say this to you. There are a lot of folks that you and I are around every day. I've been around some today. Some wrestling with this, some wrestling with that, some wrestling with the We all wrestle with stuff. Sometimes it's big stuff. Sometimes it's small stuff. It matters not. Just like this man in John chapter 5, Jesus really asked this guy a good question. Do you want to be well? And the man he, he said, look, my problem's not that I don't will to be well. He said, my problem is I don't have an opportunity. There's no one to help me in the water. You know, people that you and I know out there that going through a lot of stuff, we might just in some way be a person that could help them into the water and help them see that with God, there's always a breakthrough possible. Father, I bless you for that. I love this story. In fact, we'll be, at, we'll be at this spot in the Holy Land. It's one of my very favorite places in the Holy Land, the Pool of Bethesda. I always remember this question that Jesus asked that man. And then I remember the man's answer. He, he said, my problem's not that I don't want to be well. My problem is I don't have the opportunity to get in the water. God, help each of us to help those that maybe don't have that opportunity to get them to see that with God, there's nothing that there can't be a breakthrough. Now, Lord, bless every person here today. And I just pray that even this day, and as we, we journey about, I pray for safety in our journey. But help us to be a blessing to people. And God, thank you that no matter what comes our way in life, with you, there's always a breakthrough. And I bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.